1: Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always... Tyler Hunt and Matt Bell's here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. On today's show, we're, it's kind of, kind of be more of the same. Unfortunately, folks, the Badgers once again lost a tough one at Purdue, 73-69. So we'll talk about all things that um, kind of the same game that we've seen from the Badgers these last couple weeks, struggling night in the shooting department, defensively a little bit rough uh, on the inside against some strong bigs, and the end result is pretty much the same. So we'll talk about all that. See how the Badgers will. in their final regular season contest at Iowa to end uh, the season. Then we'll get into some football talk. We've got some commits, we've got a visit coming, and then we have an offensive line preview and review for the 2020-2021 season. So lots to get to on the show, as always. Matt, how are you today?
0: Doing great. Ready to flush another Badger loss down the toilet here and and get into some football talk. So uh, let's, let's dive into it, dude.
1: All right, well, let's get right to the, the tough conversation uh, once again. I, I was hoping that we'd be able to talk about a victory because it does feel, I know they won that uh, game against Nebraska, but it does feel like it's been a while and they've, you know, of course, beat Northwestern. But a big quality win is something that I think the Badgers were, were desperately searching for and this game felt like one that was at least winnable. I mean, they, they've they been in some of these games despite losing. It's just been you know a few shots here and there and some struggles defensively just not enough to get it done. And, you know, Purdue, in terms of standings, was close to there. And, you know, we've talked about it time and time again. Wisconsin kind of loses the team above them and beats the teams below them. But end of the day, they once again fell 73-69. Was it, in your eyes, that much different than the other three losses in this rough stretch, or was it it kind of the same thing, just uh, a different night?
0: I think it was kind of a hybrid of both because you saw them – Jump out to a nice start at the beginning of the game, which was something new and exciting <laughs> compared to how things had go, gone in the, the previous, you know, four to five games. But then you you still saw the extreme scoring droughts. You still saw the shooting struggles from three and uh, the defensive miscues in, in the post. So I, I think it's a lot – in a lot of ways it's very similar, but um, – I thought Wisconsin you saw improved play by a couple of players on the offensive end, Brad Davison, Nate Reavers, Aleem Ford, three guys who had been pretty non existent the past few games, got involved, did some nice things on the offensive end, but then you saw your other three primary players, Demetrius Trice, Jonathan Davis, Micah Potter, kind of struggle on the offensive end. Potter played Decent, um, but dealt with foul trouble. So it, it, they just can't seem to put it all together. And, and what we're seeing is incomplete basketball and, and losses because of that, in my eyes at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it's just, I think incomplete basketball is a great way to put it because they did do some things better. And there were stretches where they looked, I think, more. I feel like competence is a harsh word, but more together. I think it's fair at this point. <laughs> yeah. <it> just, <laughs> I mean, it, it feels harsh, but that's kind of the reality we're in. And there were stretches where they were they were in it and, and felt like that, and then there was the same stretches where it just, like, you know, kind of keeps creeping back to the, the, the scoring droughts for minutes on end, defensive miscues, missed shots. I mean, there was a couple times, especially late, where it just felt like, They just needed that one big bucket and and weren't able to get it. And and if they were able to put something together, Purdue always seemed to find it and match it. And and that's really been the story for Wisconsin. You know, they they do, uh, for the most part, they've been able to hang around in some of these games. It's just not enough to to win, and especially in this conference. I mean, this is a great conference. The Big Ten is very strong. And if you're not playing, you know, your best basketball night in and night out, you're going to usually end up on the wrong side of the win-loss column. And, you know, we saw it. Last night it was a great night of college basketball. We saw it last night with Michigan. You know they were had been playing well, came out and didn't do the things that they wanted to do, and end up getting beat by uh, an Illinois team that's down. So anybody can beat anybody in this conference night in and night out, but you got to play your best basketball. And the Badgers just have not done enough and, and not had played quality enough basketball over the stretch to to win any of these games. And, and you're seeing the result of you know losing uh, you know four or five and, and really struggling to do so. You can tell they're frustrated. I mean it's it's been a long time coming. You felt like this win was really needed and just didn't have enough to get it done.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and there were some glimmers of hope. Like I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you, you saw some improved play on the offensive end by some players. I thought the Badgers did a better job rebounding. Um, in the end, Purdue was still plus 10 in the rebounding department, but a big part of that was just the Badgers had seven extra shots, and they missed all of them. So uh, you look at it. And Tower Wall, I thought he did a tremendous job of cra- crashing the glass, six offensive rebounds to give them um, second-chance opportunities, and, and that really kind of helped them out late in the game. But then in the end, it still came down to they tried to play hero ball late when they were down three with just over a minute left and, and didn't have anything that looked like the set that you wanted in terms of a scoring threat. They had guys you know, hovering around the three-point arc, not uh, taking – Necessary shots and and really uh, making things happen in the paint and in the shooting lows man I don't know how many times we can talk about the fact that they're shooting in in uh, inefficient number of three-pointers given how uh, uh, effective they are from deep at this point
1: yeah I mean it's really the same conversation over and over and over again it feels like seven from 29 from the three-point line 24% just not going to get it done, um, you know, 40% from the field, which is okay, but you really need to – it's it's the same thing. I mean, they, this team, if they're going to shoot 29, 25, 30, three-pointers a game, you've got to convert on, on more than that. It's just – if that's what you're going to rely on as your bread and butter, even though they've kind of struggled at it, they, they've got to start knocking some of these down. And, you know, we saw it at home. We, we saw it on the road. So I think at the end of the day, it's just getting to be that this team – really isn't as strong a shooting team as as maybe they were of course last year they were much better shooting team and and knocked on some shots but they had spurts like that that last year It just seems like right now it's just all coming together and none of these shots they really need to fall are falling so I keep saying you know eventually I think they're going to bust out of this slump but maybe that's just not the case and this is the team they are but uh live and die by the three-point line right now is is usually going to end you up uh, on the dying side with the way they're knocking them down I mean it just seems like the, we're saying the same things over and over again each episode, but it's really, um, you know, especially on the offense and the shooting end, it's, it's the same thing. You know, there's not much more you can get into than just not hitting shots and especially not hitting shots when you need to.
0: But they need to, like you would think at this point, instead of just continuing to crash yourself into a wall, you would pivot Mm -hmm. a little bit, try something new. (laughs) I mean, you can't continue to hoist this number of threes and expect that things are going to change. (laughs) And um, you look at it, and something that, that was different about this game and really what gave them a chance Uh, in this game against a very talented Purdue team was the fact that you take out those three-pointers, they shot 57% from inside the arc. Like, what the hell are you even doing shooting threes if you're doing that well inside the arc? And so that's the frustrating part is they finally got some things going. They were making some layups. They were getting into the paint and making things happen. But then at the other end, they were still trying to shoot three-pointers and and got flustered and just relied on that, and that's not going to be how you win games. You look at it right now, and Brad Davison was the only player on the entire team that shot over 30% from from deep, and he was three of eight. So Wisconsin has some soul-searching to do, and really they need to look at this and, and say, hey, we can score inside. We don't need to turn outside the arc every single time and rely on the three. And I know we've said it, said this until we're blue in the face, but, man, it, you would think that they would just adjust based off of that.
1: Yeah, and, and that's I would love to kind of be a, a fly on the wall with the, with the conversation between the players and the coaching staff in that regard. Because, I mean, we're coming on to the last game of the season, and this team is you know, pretty much night in and night out hoisting. 25 to 33s I mean 31 against Illinois 30 against Purdue I mean you're you're getting into the you're late in the regular of the season where you're consistently putting that many up you would think if it's not working and not falling um, that that eventually you would make that pivot and I would love to know if, if Greg Gard's going to his guys and saying hey you know we don't need to take this many three pointers you know I know he's a very analytical guy he's talked about that time and time again he likes to look at the the um, the numbers and analytics to figure out the best lineups and and find out the best shots. I know college basketball is moving towards that, more teams hoisting up more three-pointers. But if you're not knocking them down and you're losing a lot of basketball games, eventually it's something you would think has got to give. And I know like, maybe that's just the way we're going to go out with, with uh, you know trying to hoist up three-pointers. you got one regular season game left, so maybe there's not enough time for adjustments. But, yeah, I would agree. I would think at some point you go and say, hey, guys, we don't have to hoist if 30. If we can try to limit that to 20 and get – more clean looks granted there's some good defenses in the big ten, but I would think that would be more productive than just consistently hoisting up you know shot after shot from beyond the arc. because there was there were some good looks from three, but there was a lot of them that seemed forced late in the shot clock, which is it makes it even more frustrating I and mean, just kind of compounds the problem even further yeah I mean that you look
0: at the mark 29 threes, that's half of your total shot attempts that's absurd <laughs> like that's <laughs> just that's not how normally things are done, you can look at Purdue, for example. You can live, if you're Purdue, shooting 28% from three in the second half because, hey, you only attempted seven of them, and it doesn't kill you. Um, So I I think you look at it, Wisconsin, I'm. who knows? Like you mentioned, I'd love to be there to hear what Greg Gard is saying because maybe he's telling these guys, hey, stop shooting threes. We need to get the ball inside. Um, But at the same time, Wisconsin seems to be falling in the habit of, Hey, we're going to shoot the three. We've got an open look. Let's, let's take it. And, and some of those shots were early in the shot clock. Some of them weren't great looks and they need to be better. Some of them were great looks where they're wide mm-hmm. open and they just aren't connecting. Um, Nate Rivers, for example, I mean, man, he's had so many good looks from three and, and teams aren't even coming out on him at this point because he's, he's nowhere to be found in, in terms of connecting from deep. So. They've, they've got to figure something out on offense. I love that at times they went back into the, the basics, like the fundamentals of the swing offense, and, and that I think helped them at times. You could see them giving them that structure help them. But um, I don't know if maybe that's the move or, or what, but at the same time something needs to change if they want to make a run in March here.
1: Yeah, got to change and, and got to change fast with that uh, final regular season game against Iowa on the road coming up. Uh, Wisconsin defensively, we knew they were kind of up against it with with Zach Eady and Travion Williams. You know, coming into the game, I, I thought Williams was going to be a matchup nightmare for the Badgers, but it ended up being Eady's seven four. You know, kind of a just goofy looking kid. You would think he's not as great of a basketball player as he is because he's so long and lanky, but he really killed the Badgers. Twenty one points. What did you make of of the Badgers defensively? Because there were times where it was okay, but there were other times where they just produced him to. Get whatever they wanted, and especially you know down from you know high percentage range. I mean, some of them are just dunks, layups. Where you, if you're not uh, you know putting up more of a fight than that, it's going to be hard to hang in a game.
0: Yeah, I mean they just they just let a uh, true freshman get way too comfortable in the paint. Mm-hmm. Zach Eady, I mean he's huge. Like he's big, obviously at a seven foot four. But at at the same token, you can't let this kid get three feet away from the the uh bucket and just turn and, and lay it in. And that's what he was doing all night. It wasn't anything where he had superior low post moves, anything. I mean, let's let's be real. Nate Reavers, Micah Potter, they're gonna up like six inches to this kid, you know, five, six inches to this kid. But that doesn't change the fact that you can't let him run to his spot, turn, catch the ball, turn around and lay it in. Because I mean that was straight up like little kid basketball. He knew what to do of okay, I'm gonna run to my spot the coach is going to throw it here, I'm going to turn, I'm going to put it in. And that's all he had to do. And, and it was like, okay, let's maybe change, let's maybe double them, let's maybe try some of these things. And none of it was happening, and Wisconsin struggled against him. Um, I thought, honestly, they played fairly well against Travion Williams. He had that big bucket mm-hmm. late that helped them out, but they got him in foul trouble, they were able to do some nice things. But, but you, they let a kid who came in averaging about eight points a game just absolutely dominate them, and and that's the story on the defensive end in a lot of ways because Wisconsin struggles in at uh at protecting the paint, and and they got just absolutely dominated by that kid.
1: Yeah, I mean, 21 points, seven boards, and in, in 18 minutes. You know, he went out when he was out there, he was effective, and and Purdue did a good job to to play through him. You know, you were they were kind of up against it, like you said, with with Travion Williams being in foul trouble, uh, and you would think early in that game when he was was going to the bench. Um, due to the foul trouble, you would think that was a really good spot for Wisconsin to take advantage of and make a run, but it didn't seem to matter. Zach Eady was right in there and kind of ate that up and ate up the opportunity and and really played well. So hats off to him, but really, he didn't have to, like you mentioned, he he was pretty much catch it, turn, and and lay it in in a lot of ways. And you know that um, with with Micah Potter being out there, you're going to be a a little bit of liability defensively, but Nate Reavers was in there a lot more played more minutes than Potter, and you would hope that, uh, you know, given, of course, Reavers is shorter, but bulk-wise, he's bigger to be able to handle it. But just uh, just it was a really tough matchup for Wisconsin. It, I didn't think it would be as bad, but the Badgers really struggled to contain him. And uh, once again, you know, a big, it uh, you know, just kind of dominates the interior against the Badgers. That's kind of a reoccurring theme these last couple of weeks, and they've got to hopefully get it figured out because, once again, you've got Luca Garza coming up, and we saw what he did to the Badgers last time, and it was uh, not pretty. So hopefully they can get that uh, turned around a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, and Garza is, you know, 14 times more skilled in the low post in Edie right now. And, but it, but you look at the future. I mean, look at Purdue. They have a couple really young kids that were making some nice plays for them with, with Jay Nivey. I was really impressed with what he brought to the table. Um, still working on his, his touch from deep, but, but him and Edie are a pretty nice one-two combo for them that Wisconsin's going to have struggles with, especially Edie, because you look at, uh, the fact that who they brought in, in the post right now and, and Stephen Crowell, You've got Ben Carlson, both guys who are more in the similar mold to Reavers Potter as um, more finesse bigs that can, can go inside out on the offensive end. And Wisconsin needs to, to get, get something ready because that kid's going to be around for a few years now.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch for the batters as they move forward here, not only this season but in the next season. That's definitely something that's going to need to get uh, cleaned up a little bit. Um, you know, we were, there's a couple of things. You, you talk about the rebounding for Reavers and Potter. You know, they struggled once again, only grabbed five boards when they were out there. I, I think that's just, at, at some point, it's just like, okay, that's just the way it goes with those two. Um, the refereeing was, was also, I think that really made it a little bit of an impact to, to slow the game down a little bit. It just, you know, especially watching it. You know, that game last night just seemed to be, those, those, there's college basketball games sometimes that it, there seems like a whistle every play. And it, it takes the fans out of the flow a little game. It's hard to watch, so I have to imagine that as an impact um, on the players as well. Did you notice that as well? That it just seemed like the refereeing and, and it seemed like a whistle every every trip down the floor for a good stretch of the game.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you looked at 27 whistles in the second half um, on fouls. It was it was atrocious. They they needed to swallow their whistles a little bit there because that was that was unneeded. Um, some of them were touch fouls, and they and it was a complete. Switch of how the first half went. I thought that they did a fine job in the first half. It was fairly reasonable. But second half, every other time down, uh, both teams couldn't, uh, score. They weren't hitting shots. All they were doing was going to the free throw line. And that game just, it felt like it was going to go to pal Midnight at one point. <laughs> and it was so different than when you watched that Baylor, West Virginia game earlier. Mm-hmm. It was just like it was a completely different sport altogether.
1: Yeah, we went from Baylor-West Virginia into Illinois-Michigan, which kind of ended up being an ugly game for the Wolverines as well, then right into Purdue-Wisconsin, which is that second half. Uh, there's definitely different ways to play the game of basketball, and we saw all three kind of on display last night. So, um, all right, rounding out the basketball talk, like we said, one more against Iowa to end the regular season. Any prayers for the Badgers on the road there? and And if so, if they're going to somehow turn things around and, and pull off an upset, I think we kinda know the answer of what it's gonna take, but uh what's it gonna take for the Badgers to uh to, to get a win, a much needed win against the Hawkeyes this weekend? Uh, I don't know. Keep Luka Garza off the court
0: um and hit your shots. They gotta do both. Um yep. so if, if they can get Garza in foul trouble and uh and then make their shots, then they they have a chance. But I think really realistically it's it's got to be that they get hot from three if if they're gonna still continue to to uh throw throw those jump shots up out there they've got to eventually hit and a lot law of averages is definitely on the badger side at some yeah. point here and um it, if if this is the game that would be amazing it would be great because Wisconsin is in dire need of a quad one win to to kind of bolster their resume right now because it's it's trending in the wrong direction and and really, uh, Iowa is not the team you want to be playing against in that situation.
1: No, but it, it would be—it would be, I think, huge for this team's confidence. I know we can talk about the struggles of, that they've had, and, and of course, it's been—it's been ugly for for the last couple of weeks. But now, if, you, if you're trying to move forward into this Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament, if you could pull off an upset like that and, and possibly pull some things off and, and get into the Big Ten tournament with a little bit of just confidence, I mean, right now you could tell last night. The Badgers were were, were getting frustrated, and, and really you could just kind of see it on their faces that it was just seeming to mount. So if they could get some of that you know cleared off their docket a little bit before going to the Big Ten tournament would be huge. Maybe you can pick up a win or or two there, and then and get in the NCAA tournament. Right now you're sitting at a six seed. Uh, you know a win would would really bolster a six seed against Georgia Tech in the six eleven matchup. So. That would be you know, an, an okay spot for the Badgers, but really it doesn't really matter about the seeding right now. It's just this team needs to find ways to win. They need to hit shots, and I think they just need to get some confidence back. And That would start with a win against Iowa, but uh, it's going to take some some strong defensive effort against Luka Gars and it's going to take some shots, finally starting to fall, and, and I'm just not sure if, if that's in the cards for them right now.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think it's going to be important to watch Maryland right now as well because Maryland is right – as the seventh seed in the Big Ten tournament if things ended right now with Wisconsin the half game ahead of them. And the way they're finishing off their schedule, they've got Northwestern on the road and Penn State at home, two very winnable games for them. There is no stopping them from sliding over Wisconsin and taking that uh, bye game in the Big Ten tournament, pushing Wisconsin to have to play right away. So I think that's something to watch here is, is how Maryland finishes and, and if the Badgers can, can
1: steal a win in, uh, in uh, Iowa City. It would be much needed for sure. All right, I think that wraps up our basketball talk, guys. So stick with us through a couple of quick ad reads, and then we'll get into some football discussion. All right, we, the Badgers have been busy. We've talked about a little bit in the 2022 circuit. Seems like offers going out left and right, but they added another piece to their 2021 class before that. an Owen Arnett out of Heartland Arrowhead, um, a player that's classified as an athlete in his recruiting profile, was previously committed to Virginia before um, opting to take the preferred walk-on spot with Wisconsin. Uh, played a lot of outside linebacker at Harland Arrowhead, as well as some receiver. Athletic kid, um, six foot one ninety, according to his recruiting profile. So a guy that's going to come into Wisconsin and, and maybe move around. You know, it's not quite certain where he'll be in terms of position wise, but he's just an athletic kid from in state, which we've seen what Wisconsin can do with them. So what did you make of that commitment and uh, that late add to the 2021 group?
0: Yeah, I think that's a it's a big get in terms of a walk on because he he has a pedigree. His dad uh, actually came from my hometown and, and played uh, at UW Whitewater and was a Hall of Famer there. So and and now has a really good uh, at NX level. He's the director of sports performance there. So he's got he's got the pedigree to, to be a good player. Um, it's there's a reason he was wanted at Virginia as well as a per, preferred walk on. He's he's talented has some versatility. I, I, w- I would expect he starts at linebacker, but he also played a little full uh, tailback, so maybe he's a fullback. I know we talked about that position last mm-hmm. last uh, podcast. So I, I think it's a really good get. These are the type of kids who, who bleed red and white, who end up oftentimes panning out more more often than not. So Wisconsin got another good kid to, to hopefully um, not only bolster their um, connection to uh, – that uh, workout facility, but also to Heartland Arrowhead, which is one of the top schools in the state, who Wisconsin hasn't really brought in a lot of guys from there lately, but it's still one of the the bigger schools in the state altogether.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a great guy. You mentioned, you know, these guys that are in-state kids that that walk on, take the opportunity. Um, There's a pretty good track record of them having success, so hopefully that can happen in this situation here wherever um, Owen Arnett ends up and I was watching his his high school highlight tape uh, when writing up the article for our website and it, it, he looked like a very athletic kid you know if he's going to be on that defensive side of the football that's, that's the type of guy that Jim Leonard likes to get guy that uh, has a lot of athleticism and it can be versatile that way so uh, I always think those uh, situations end up being pretty good for the player and hopefully being good for the Badgers so uh, I think it's a big get um, and an important grab for that 2021 class. You always want to keep, even if it's just preferred walk-on talent, um, You know, keeping them guys in the state is always important. So, Speaking of football recruiting, Micah Riley is uh, on, going to be on campus taking a visit this weekend for the Badgers. Um, what did you make of him, of course, a four-star kid, very highly recruited right now by a whole host of schools, Auburn, Iowa, Iowa State, Miami, Old Miss, Tennessee, Wisconsin, in the running there. Um, warm, according to his 247, big kid, sick six, uh, out of Nebraska. Uh, what do you make of him and him possibly uh, getting to giving a look at Wisconsin? I think it's huge. I think
0: Wisconsin usually does really well in the spring and summer months, getting guys on campus early. They can't go through the normal, unofficial visit protocols where he's, he's meeting with the staff, going through all that. But at the same time, he's going to have a couple really good hosts. I know Miles Burkett is coming. To um, go around with him, as, as well as some of the 2021 commits, which which should help. So he he's a kid who's wanted to to kind of have an aha moment and fall in love with the program. He's already visited Iowa, which I think is the other top school to watch, but Wisconsin is is definitely got an in at Bellevue West his high school in Nebraska cuz of Chucky e. Hepburn hopefully they can seal the deal I don't know if it's going to be hey he comes and visits and commits this weekend or anything like that but at the same time this is a big visit to give them a good chance at um eventually securing his pledge down the line cuz he could be a really good inline tight end for the Badgers and is a really good athlete um at and uh and just really would help them in that room to maybe not have to bring in two because of what he can do as both a pass catcher and as a blocker.
1: Yeah, that, that always helps. I mean, the guys that can do, you know, the, the Wisconsin does so much with tight ends that if you have that versatility to, you know, be able to go on the line and block, but also, you know, catch passes that not only, like you mentioned, you know, it gives you the, the scholarship versatility where maybe you don't have to bring in multiple guys to do different things. I mean, they're both, You've seen it from Wisconsin time and time again where they recruit a lot of tight ends, but sometimes they're recruiting some for, to help in the run game and some to be a pass catcher and vice versa. So if you got a guy that can do both, um, like Mike O'Reilly can, I think that's a big get and uh, allows you to uh, be versatile in, in the offense. And Wisconsin's done a really great job in that tight end room recruiting these last few classes, but you know, a four-star kid uh, out of the state of Nebraska would, of course, be a huge get. Um, you know, just... With the schools around him, of course, you've got Iowa in the mix. Iowa State is uh, recruiting. He's going to have all those Midwest schools kind of in the running. So uh, it's going to be an important visit for the Badgers, and hopefully they can win him over. It should be a nice weekend in Madison, and uh, hopefully you can see the see the city for what it is, see the campus for what it is, and uh, fall in love. Cause I think that'd be a, a big get. You know, a four-star kid like him is an important piece in that 2022 class. No doubt. All right, we'll work into our next position preview, review. We've got two left. We've got the offensive line and the quarterback position. So today we'll focus on the offensive line. I think this will be a fun discussion when you look at uh, just the talent and the depth that Wisconsin has at these positions. Um, coming into this year, uh, of course, there was a pretty good group, headlined by Cole Van Lannen. Um You ended up getting John Dietzen, who – you know, at, at the hindsight of the end of the season, you know, John Dietz was a really important piece on that offensive line. You also had Caden Lyles, a guy that battled injuries. You had some other guys that worked into the fold. Some struggled, some had good games. So, what did you make overall of this 2020 offensive line group? I thought overall they did okay. I, I don't think that they were
0: nearly as dominant as we've seen for, at, from time to time from Wisconsin offensive lines. Um, I, I thought John Dietz coming back was absolutely huge. I think he gave them a big lift, not only because of his leadership, but um, he, he's a guy that allowed some of the younger guys to get a little bit of experience behind him, um, but also learn from him. And, and I think that should pay dividends down the road. You you look at it, and right now I think Wisconsin is in a good spot on the offensive line, but, but really I do think that uh, Wisconsin – had just an okay year and I think that uh, it's a big reason why we saw that Joe Rudolph is kind of really kind of reined into just back to offensive line coach in a lot of ways because they really need that group to be dominant if they want the run game to be back to what it should be and the passing game because there were miscues that that hurt them uh, in both fronts so I think Overall, they did fine. I think you've got some good guys on the right side that played well. Um, I think the the interior left guard center position is really where um, the questions lied last year and will continue to be in 2021, though.
1: Yeah, I, I think this group overall was um, you know a group that I think had a lot of potential. I don't think they by any means had a bad year. It was just kind of a, a year where you could definitely notice some mistakes. I don't know how much of that was, was COVID-related and struggling with uh, you know, the back and forth of, of not having a season and then having games canceled. I would think in terms of positions and, and where that's really hard, if you're not you know consistently playing together as a group, it's got to be on the offensive line. Um, and I think that was noticed in, in just trying to mesh something together. And, you know, of course, the the offense as a whole struggled and, and was kind of out of sync. And you, you noticed that on the offensive line as well. So um, it was a group. I think they played okay. There was bright spots, there was some bad spots, and overall, um, you know, not their best performance. But like you mentioned, you know, Joe Rudolph maybe refocused in that group a little bit as he moved to 2021. You know, of course, you're not going to have and Landon and Dietzen, but I think you've got some clear starters as you look forward here. At uh, left tackle, you probably have Logan Brown. He came on late in the season, played a little bit. I think looked like he was ready to go. Um, Along with Brown, you've got four starters, I think, that are the starters for now. You've got a lot of depth there in that secondary group, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But if you were looking at it coming into spring season, where would you have your offensive line right now in terms of starters um, as you work into spring and then into fall ball?
0: Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of competition because, like I mentioned, Joe Rudolph is going to really be after these guys, wanting them to – to to play well, I think yeah, Logan Brown, left tackle, you can pretty much put that in in uh, a a pen compared to some of the other positions that might be more in pencil. Um, at, at right guard, I I feel really good. Logan Russell will probably be the guy. He started every game but one this past season. Um, there and in Tyler Beach at right tackle, I think those two have a nice um. Uh, a nice rapport. They they've been in, in the same class. They came in. They've worked together well. So I think they've kind of earned their stripes and they should be uh, on that right side. But then at left guard and center, I'm guessing Caden Lyles will probably be the front runner for center. But he still continues to to deal with injury issues. And you saw um, Tanner Bordellini get out there. You saw Cormac Sampson. So I think. Those three are all realistic possibilities at center. I would anticipate that Samson's probably more likely if, than Bordellini, just because I think Samson has a little bit more experience to, to lean on. And then Josh Seltzer's probably left guard. Um, but, but really the, the guy to, to watch is, is can a guy like Jack Nelson or Michael Furtney, Joe Tittman, can they get in the mix? and and crack that top five because um, I do think that um, Josh Selsner, really strong kid, but at the same time, he's not quite as athletic uh, as some of the younger guys who were pretty heavily recruited. So I think that's um, the uh, spot to watch is that left guard spot. But I think the other four, like you mentioned, are, are probably pretty much that.
1: Yeah, I mean we've we've seen flashes from Josh Scheltzner. You know he's been in he's played a lot of football. You know whether it being worked in um, at certain positions just because you're shifting guys around. So he's played uh, a good amount of snaps. There's been some struggles there, and then you look at Caden Lyles as well, just a guy that's been injured. Thankfully you've got some depth there that um, you feel good about at the center position. But at the same time, you know uh, Tanner Bordellini, while I think is going to be a really good player. You also have to worry, and, and of course. Um, you've got some other guys, but right now uh, you want to have your you want to have your center you being your consistent guy. You don't want to be rotating in. We saw that effect that it had for the Badgers this past year when you were going through multiple ones. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. Those are the, probably the two spots right now that um, maybe aren't as clear cut. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of depth that, along this offensive line, and we've talked about how Joe Rudolph is going to be closely monitoring this group once again. You're not going to be the broad scope of the offense this year as much as he will be. Just focusing on the offensive line, so he's going to have a, a clear eye and a you know an eye on the competition for which guys are you know excelling and which guys aren't uh, you getting the job done. And if there's something that needs to be switched, um, we've seen it from Joe Rudolph. He likes to have his five out, his best five out there. He has no problem switching. So I would think right now the the names that you kind of mentioned are the five that will be starting. You know, kind of coming into spring ball and into fall, but there's no doubt that these backups and some of these other guys in that group have the ability to to work their way in there because Wisconsin football offensive line is what they do well. They recruit well, and I think the coming into this year, you've got a lot of depth across the board that you could work in there. Now that these couple last couple recruiting classes are starting to get in there, um, you can see the the reaps of those benefits where you've got a lot of depth all along the offensive line. Yeah, and and I think,
0: but I think like you mentioned, there's going to be competition at that front. Uh, for those five starting spots, and, and that's really what most fans are going to be keeping an eye on. But in spring ball, assuming that there is a more normalized spring ball here coming up, the, the fun part should be the the two deep and seeing kind of what mm-hmm. that looks like because you look at their two deep from last year, and you have two key members, like we mentioned, that are gone, and John Dietzen as well as um, Cole Van Landen. You're also going to have Lyles, who might not fully be back for the spring at that point and And there might be other players who aren't ready to go. So what, uh, which guys do you think if going into spring, would you think they might be the um, the second five up right now at, at each position?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about some of those names already. you've got you've got Nelson who I, I think we've we've talked about it before when his recruitment kind of came around, translates well to the tackle position. Whether it be, I mean, you've got Logan Brown right now. I don't think that they are going to be uh, anyone really pushing him. He's looked like he's ready to go now. But really this this secondary group, you know, you talked about the starters. You've got Nelson. You've got Michael Fertney, Joe Tipman. Tanner Bordellini got worked in there a little bit um, last year. Cormac Sampson is a guy that I, I, I think really highly of. So when you look across the country, not a lot of teams have, you know, a, a starting five and then five quote-unquote backups, I mean, I don't want to say they're backups because I think a lot of these guys could push for a starting job. You know, we've talked about that left guard and center position. Um, So I think there's a lot of guys in this, quote-unquote, secondary group that could make a run at it, and I'm interested to see who it could be. Um, I think Nelson could work his way in there if you needed to, but really, you you look at, you know, Cormac Sampson is probably the guy that could just, given Caden Lyles, you know, you like him as a player, But if he's injured, not ready to go, you want to have that, you know, synchronicity with your quarterback and your center. Maybe Cormac Stampson gets worked in there. But really I think it's a blessing for the Badgers for this, you know, these 10 guys that could be worked into the fold and and really wouldn't question it at any any point. So it's a blessing to have. But I'm interested to see which guys will work their way in there because there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of guys that can make a case and it's going to take a strong uh, spring football to start. Uh, to maybe work them into the fold.
0: Yeah, and Joe Tippmann dealt with, you know, COVID and injury stuff mm-hmm. going on. So I think he's a guy that specifically could make some some moves in the interior three spots, just given his um, experience and what he's done. I, I know they were grooming him to be a center for a while, but then he, he was unavailable for pretty much the entirety of the year. But, but I, lo- I love Jack Nelson. I'd be interested to see if he might contend for that left guard spot I, I think he's probably eventually you'd want him to be at a tackle because that's what he came in as mm-hmm. and he's six foot seven. But at the same time, he's so athletic and um, he played in the Army All American game as a guard. He's a kid who could easily make that move and, and maybe help you out given that he's a five star kid. It'd be pretty wild to have two five stars on the left side of your line who are both pretty young. And, but I, I think you look at his talent-wise, they eventually got to move some of these tackles that came in to, to guard, like they did with, with Tittman. So maybe Jack Nelson is another guy who could do that, because I'm assuming that Trey Wedig is probably going to end up being a right tackle down the line. Um, and and you've got some tackles coming in um, with Nolan Rucci, Riley Malman, both 6'8 plus. They're probably stuck at tackle um, unless uh, they come in a little shorter than advertised. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to like about this room. I think the athleticism is, is rising, and which is really important at the offensive line position or across the offensive line. But, but really, I think the competition behind those five starters is, is almost going to be just as much fun to watch,
1: at least for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think there's, you know, Jack Nelson is a guy that, is you know athletic. He, he's a he's a beast. I mean, when you look at him, he's just um you know seems like a guy that's ripped six seven. You know, Wisconsin had him as two eighty nine on the roster. But I have to imagine he's uh, up above that now just after this off season. So he's a guy that I think certainly could move around. You bring up a good point. I mean, you, we've talked about these ten guys that are on the roster, but you still have uh you know Rucci and some other guys coming in that uh, eventually are going to translate to those positions as well. So. If you can get a guy like Jack Nelson and, and maybe Trey Wedig moved into a position that they feel um, for the future, you know, to couple with Logan Brown, to couple with these younger guys coming in, you've not only got uh, you know five pretty good starters and five pretty good backups, you've got some recruits that are are not going to be far behind. And we've talked about it time and time again. These recruits for Wisconsin are getting better and better. Earlier on in their career, they can make an impact earlier on. And of course, Wisconsin offensive line. When you get them in, it, it's it, I think it always benefits them to have a year. You don't see many true freshmen or redshirt freshmen cracking in there too much, but uh, Wisconsin's got the talent there that they could certainly get some of these guys into the fold early, and it's going to be uh, a fun you know competition for the starters. It's going to be fun to watch who ends up getting you know that second spot, and then you know these younger guys just to see how they develop. I think the future is is very bright for the Wisconsin offensive line, I know. You've said they're the bread and butter. That's what they do well. But it really seems like right now they're, they're seeming to hit their strides on the recruiting front, and I'm excited to see um, what some of these guys can do as they get into the fold. Yeah, I mean, it's it's
0: definitely the future is bright. Now it's just a matter of, of coaching them up and seeing what they can do because the talent level is in the room and and, and now it's getting back to basics and making sure that they can um, be the road graders that Jalen Berger or whoever else behind him is running the ball and giving Graham Mertz plenty of time to throw the ball down the field.
1: All right, there you have it, guys. That wraps up our position preview re- review for the offensive line. We've got one left to touch on, and that is the quarterback room. Um, it's going to be a nice 10, 15 minutes of us completely praising Graham Merch. No, I'm just kidding. We'll be fair and just in our conversation with that next week. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to get to that and talk about a Badger W. We'll manifest it right now and hope that it happens. So, But that wraps up our episodes for this week. We'll be back with you next week to talk about what we just mentioned. As always, on Wisconsin.